Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So I, I haven't made an episode in a while, but this is welcome to episode 77. And uh, the next few episodes, I'm going to deal with leadership communication because right now I'm teaching a course at the University of Waterloo on, on leadership. So I've been kind of inspired to make a couple of new episodes based on what we're, what we're covering in class and what I'm doing with the students in class. Uh, so I'm a professor of communication studies, and in one of our, our courses in our program is just called leadership, and we often teach leadership as a kind of commu- a central communication competency. Um, that being said, there's tons and tons of literature and scholarship out there on leadership from lots of people in business, in finance, in sociology, uh, in all sorts of different domains or academic disciplines. Uh, some of that research is really interesting to a communication scholar because it kind of hints at some things that are obvious for communication studies. And uh, and then some of it can seem somewhat far afield. So I want to focus in the next couple episodes on leadership as a communication competency by tying some of the things from literature outside of communication studies to communication practices. And so I think I may have talked about this book on the podcast before, but there's a wonderful book called Resonant Leadership uh, by a guy named Richard Boyatzis. Uh, he's one of the authors of the book anyway, uh, who's a professor of business. And um, in that book, uh, so he's got two books, one called Primal Leadership and one called Resonant Leadership or Resonance or something like that. Uh, they both, both books say, kind of make a similar argument. Um I want to talk about what's at the core in terms of communication of of one of the features of what Boyatzis argues. Um, so let's, before we even get there, I want to start with the phrase primal leadership or resonance and, and what it means. And I, if you listen to the podcast, you know that um, one of my axioms is one cannot not communicate. And that's because communication is about producing effects on others and you're always producing effects on others. Boyatzis is alive to this in his study of studies of leadership and what he's written about leadership uh, because he seems to suggest leaders have this kind of ability to primally affect the emotions of others around them. Uh, and resonance is this kind of like concept that, you know, when two people are on the same wavelength, they're sort of resonating with one another. And leaders apparently are really good at getting people, other people to feel that they're on the same wavelength as as they as they are. So you know you feel like you're connected to some leader. Um, so Boyatza says that you know in order to construct, in order to get this kind of sense of resonance, in order for a leader to um, to manifest or demonstrate this sense of resonance, really what that person needs is or are some what he calls personal competencies and social competencies. And they're both forms of emotional intelligence. So what Boyatzis is arguing is that in a kind of primal sense, like before we even think or deliberate or rationally make decisions or articulate ourselves in public speech, 
there's a kind of relational component, an emotional component to leadership. And in order for a leader to master the kind of form of emotional resonance that he wants or he thinks is desirable, they need these sort of set of personal competencies and social competencies. So he says there's two personal competencies, self-awareness and self-management. And then he says there's two main social competencies, social awareness and relationship management. I only want to talk in this episode really simply about self-awareness as a personal competency and how that manifests itself in terms of communication, because this is so important. And I was kind of astonished in class at my students kind of uh, wrestling with, they, they were having a hard time with uh, some aspects of, of self-awareness. So I thought, well, maybe everybody has a hard time with some aspects of self-awareness. Um, okay, so what is self-awareness, and then how do you communicate it, and then why does it work for leadership? What effect does it, does it have? So I think um, self-awareness has three big components. First, there's a kind of emotional self-awareness whereby you're able to read your own emotions and recognize how they affect you. So you can use, that, that can be explained as using a gut sense to guide your decision-making, but it's also about like knowing what you're feeling, knowing how what you're feeling can influence what you're doing, saying, and acting, and having a kind of calibrated or clear sense of what those things are. So, you know, I had a bad day at work the other day, something, you know, kind of crappy happened, and I came home and one of my colleagues texted me about it and was like, yeah, this thing, did you read this email? It's really terrible. And I was upset about it. So I wrote back, I was like, yeah, it's, it's not great, but I don't want to talk about it right now because I'm too upset. So I'm likely to say negative things. Let's sleep on it and we'll check in tomorrow about it. That is emotional self-awareness. It's knowing that I was upset about something and recognizing the impact of that sense of upsetness on my communication habits or practice on, on what I was likely to say and how I was like to, likely to act in that situation. Second component of self-awareness is what we might call accurate self-assessment. And accurate self-assessment is about kind of knowing your strengths and weaknesses, but also being able to describe your actions in objective and neutral and accurate terms. So my son right now is uh, 11, and he's struggling a lot with this. Uh, he has these wildly uh, disparate forms of self-assessment. So at one point, you know, he plays a lot of basketball. So, you know, he'll hit a jump shot and he'll run down the court and he'll be like, I'm a god. I'm a basketball god. I'm going to make the NBA. Uh, it's a ridiculous self-assessment. He's not a god. Uh, his sense of his own strengths and his own limits is totally, completely out of whack. And then if he misses a couple shots and has a bad game, he comes and he says to me, well, I'm terrible. I'm, an aw I'm awful. I'm never going to do any, you know, he's really, really, really harsh on himself. Again, totally inaccurate self-assessment. He missed a couple shots. He didn't play that great. But to describe it as horrible or terrible in that kind of extreme language is deeply problematic. This is the one that caught my students most off guard because they were telling me, oh, you know, if I if I get a 78 on a test, that's like a failure. And I was like, whoa, whoa, that's a that's a B plus. It's not a failure. It's it's really fine. And they had these really kind of strange forms of assessment of their own academic performance that just was not objective or neutral. I'll say more about that in a second. Uh, the third component of self-awareness is self-confidence. 
And that's a sound sense of one's own self-worth and one's own capabilities. So you have to have um, a clear, well-established sense of what you, uh, of your value, and you have to believe in that value. So these are the three components of self-awareness. Now, it turns out in the leadership, in the leadership literature, people who have high degrees of self-awareness, who are good at those three things, um, they tend to make better leaders. So it's desirable to have a high degree of self-awareness. What that means for communication is that if you can learn to communicate in a way that captures this kind of emotional self-awareness, this kind of accurate self-assessment and this form of self-confidence, if you can communicate to others that you have this self-awareness, self-assessment, and self-confidence, if you have these three components, you're likely to be more successful if you're in a leadership position um, and you'll be better able to engage in leadership tasks. So for me, I, I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think these are kind of naturally given components. Uh, well, I want to say it like this. I think all three of these kind of attributes of self-awareness are wrapped up with communication problems. And people who make good leaders are able to, to engage in communication practices or habits that demonstrate these features of self-awareness to their audience. And that demonstration makes other people kind of magnetically feel connected or in resonance with or on the same wavelength as the person with a high degree of self-awareness. And people with low degrees of self-awareness tend to push others away. So on the podcast before, I've talked about push tactics of persuasion and pull tactics of persuasion, and they relate to leadership, obviously. But here, this kind of articulation of self-awareness, this kind of communicating self-awareness can be very much a pull tactic of connecting with, with people. So the question becomes, how do you communicate? What practices of communication demonstrate self-awareness? And in particular, what practices of communication demonstrate emotional self-awareness, accurate self-assessment, and self-confidence? And which ones don't or demonstrate either the antithesis of that or not those things very, very clearly? I think here, um, on, on, in terms of self-awareness, the communication habit or practice that we want to get most get into or get used to is the kind of objective and neutral language around oneself. So hyperbole is in many ways the enemy of good demonstrations of self-awareness. And objectivity and neutrality and specificity and particularity are in many ways um, allies of effective demonstrations of self-awareness. This becomes especially true with that middle attribute of accu accurate self-assessment. If you fail a test, let's say you get, uh, well, let's say you don't fail, let's say you get a 72 on a test. And in Canada, 72 is a B minus about. Now, when you go home, uh, you've gotten your grading test, you go home, what do you say to yourself about your performance? Do you say, I did awful, that was horrendous, I'm so stupid? Uh, that is hyperbole. So, you know, instead, do you say to yourself, you know what, I got a 72, that is three points off of a B, 
The average grade in the class was a 75, so I was slightly below average. Uh, it was a difficult test. I did not perform my best. Uh, I could probably do better in the future. Um, but, you know, it's fine. I'm passing and I'm not so off where the average Waterloo student is at this point in the semester. So I've been particular. I've been descriptive. I've tried to be neutral and I've tried to be objective in my communication about how I think I did on the exam. And this is something that uh, young people in particular, I think, struggle to learn how to do. And they actually end up communicating in different sorts of ways that communicate the opposite of that accurate self-assessment. Um, so I see this all the time with students with really hyper hyperbolic senses of what's going on for them, that their world is collapsing or that they're doing horrible or, or whatever is going on around them is really intolerable. Those forms of inaccurate self-assessment, when they're communicated to an audience or to another person, make the kind of connectedness or in, on the same wavelength or resonant feeling that leaders want really hard to come by. Whereas uh, accurate self-assessment creates a kind of foundation for uh, that sort of connectedness that we were after. The same thing goes for emotional self-awareness. You have to in a really neutral, objective, and particular way, read your own emotions and recognize their impact. So you say, you know, I'm feeling upset right now, so I don't think it would be good for me to talk because when I, if I talk when I'm upset, I can say things that are damaging or that I don't really mean. Um, the same goes for self-confidence. You know, you need objective, neutral, uh, descriptive and particular language. So if my son Julian, if instead of he said saying I was horrible or I'm God in the basketball court, if he said, you know, I'm a valuable member of my team and I'm able to score eight or 10 points a game and that's really important to the team's success. And the team relies on my ability to score in the paint um, when they get me the ball. So I have a really neutral descriptive account. And that's a demonstration of my confidence in my value to the team. But it's not an hyperbolic overstatement of that value. He, if, he, if Julian instead went to his team and said, you know what, I'm the best player on this team by far. I'm a god. I'm a future NBA player. You're all lucky to, to play with me. That's not an articulation of self-confidence. That's crazy talk. It's, it's um, delusional in some sense. Um, and to display or demonstrate or articulate that kind of delusional hyperbolic uh, dis description of your own worth would be to push people away, to make it harder to connect with them or harder to resonate with them or harder for them to feel an emotional attachment to you. So if you're going to be in a leadership position, uh, we know that you need to have a high degree of self-awareness and then the question is how you communicate that self-awareness. Well, you do so through objective, neutral, descriptive, and particular language that shows that you know what you're feeling and not, you know how what you're feeling influences you, that shows you know your strengths and limits and weaknesses, and you know kind of what they are and you're not sort of delusional about what they are, and that you know what your self-worth is and what your contribution and value that you bring to others happens to be. And when you articulate those three things with a high degree of objectivity, 
neutrality, descriptiveness, and particularity, then you're more likely to create the conditions whereby others will positively emotionally kind of resonate with you or respond to you or feel more deeply connected to you. Um, so it's always, um, you know, so I ask my students in class to evaluate their ability to demonstrate self-awareness in communicative practice and whether they're oftentimes finding themselves in communication situations whereby they're able to, to demonstrate a high degree of self-awareness or whether they find themselves in communication situations where they're demonstrating a low degree of self-awareness or a degree of self-awareness that's kind of out of keeping with how others might perceive them. Um, and it turns out that it happens way more often than we might think. So we are frequently, frequently put in positions of demonstrating our self-awareness to others, and we often don't think about it. Uh, so we might kind of, in a knee-jerk way, knee-jerk might, might not be the right word, but in a kind of like habitual communicative way, just talk about our emotions or just talk about our strengths and weaknesses or demonstrate our sense of self-worth, whether that's high or low to others, in all sorts of scenarios. And if there's a kind of mismatch between what we're saying and how others are perceiving the situation, then you don't become someone that, that, that other people are able to kind of connect with or feel on the same wavelength with. Um, so, okay, um, what, what I'm trying to say at the end here is that, that it happens more often than we think that we're put in positions to communicate our sense of self-awareness to others. Uh, so one thing is to just attend to or, or become aware of when you're demonstrating self -aware, your self-awareness to others. And then the next thing is to stop whatever, if, if to reflect on your habitual uh, demonstrations of self-awareness and ask yourself whether those habitual demonstrations of self-awareness are neutral, objective, descriptive, and particular, or whether they're hyperbolic, exaggerated, intense, uh, over-the-top, inaccurates, um, misaligned with reality, etc. And that will give you a sense of whether you've mastered this communicative communication competency. It will also give you a sense of whether or not you're going to be a good leader in the future. Uh, because if you're constantly communicating in a way whereby um, you have these hyperbolic descriptions of your strengths and weaknesses, people are not going to want to work for you. That's like just the bottom line. People are not going to enjoy working for you. They're not going to be responsive to the tasks you assign them when you get into the, the more formal or complicated kind of functional practices of leadership communication. But if you do demonstrate high degrees of self-awareness, people will want to work with you. They will resonate with you. They'll feel, feel like they're on the same wavelength. And the functional communication tasks that you'll have to do later on become easier because people feel connected to you or, or others are more likely to carry out those functional communication tasks in effective ways if they feel this sense of, of connectedness. So demonstrating or communicating high degrees of self-awareness can be profoundly effective and helpful in creating the sense of emotional resonance or emotional connectedness between you and, and someone else. And it is a central feature of effective leadership, even though it might remain hidden or 
hidden in plain sight in many ways, even though we might not always recognize it or see it or think about it in the front of our minds, we are often demonstrating our sense of self-awareness to others. Um, so it's a good little kind of test too, to when you go out into the world to think about the people you're interacting with who are in leadership positions and ask yourself, are they demonstrating a good degree of self-awareness or are they hyperbolic or do they not have a good accurate self-assessment or is their self-assessment really strong and really clear? Are they overconfident? Do they lack confidence or do they have a clear sense of self-confidence that's articulated? Uh, odds are that if you if you find someone with a high degree of self-awareness who's really objective and neutral, uh, descriptive and particular and accurate in their communication of self-awareness, then that person's going to be a good leader. And if they're not, then they're probably going to be a bad leader. So try to master self-awareness and try to demonstrate self-awareness through your accurate self-awareness through your communication practices. So that's it for episode 77. I'll be back shortly with another episode. Thanks everyone for listening.